Good morning. Welcome Hope Community Church. I'm Pastor Trevor. I'm glad you could join us this morning. Those of you joining us online, welcome as well. Um, a couple of things. Uh, first, um, an update on my ear condition. Uh, one, thank you for the prayers. Uh, the medicine I'm taking does seem to be working uh, for um, keeping the tinnitus um, at bay. However, the, the side effects are um, quite extensive. The, the pills I'm on are now double the concentration that I was on um, when I started a few weeks ago. Uh, so now, like, my afternoons essentially are shot. It makes me really tired, sleepy. Um, so that, that needs to change. So a prayer request there is just uh, that I will find some, some type of middle ground that will allow me to um, continue to effectively shepherd as well as treat the condition because right now it's not conducive uh, to the calling uh, that God has for me um, in my life. So uh, prayers for that. A second... Um, in line with the topic today, a book recommendation is um, this book, Church Membership. It's put out by the uh, Nine Marks organization. Um, and so this is Church Membership, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus. Um, it is written by Jonathan Lehman. Nice uh, short book. Um, and in light of this recommendation, uh, we will be starting up another men's group in September, which will be going over the Nine Marks Healthy Churches series, which this will be one of the books that we will cover. Uh, I think the series is up to 14 books now, and so we will cover um, one book um, a month. I will be sending out the list in the order of those books, so um, if you would like to, men, join that group, and you haven't gone through it already, um, let me know. And if you've gone through it, but you want to join in for the two books that we didn't cover previously, let me know as well, and I'll let you know when we get there. Now at this time, let's go to our Father in heaven in prayer. Father, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this opportunity for us to gather as a family, as one body, to hear your word, to sing your praises. We thank you that we are given such freedoms to do so in this country. We thank you that we are able to come here um, and the comforts of this building to hear your voice. So help us to be focused. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to be attentive to your word. May we have humble and submissive spirits. May your spirit, the Holy Spirit, may he convict as necessary. May he encourage as necessary. And may we listen so that we would be edified, sanctified, equipped to do your holy work, Father, so that we would glorify you in all that we do. We ask this, Father, by the power of the Spirit, in the name and the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for the next several weeks, I'll be preaching on church membership and all that it entails. Uh, today, I will focus on the need for the believer to be connected and committed to a local body. Next week, we'll begin to look at the various member expectations that we have of members here at Hope. And we'll begin by first looking at fellowship and edification within the body. The following week, we will then consider disciple-making, both here within the church as well as in the home. Three weeks from now, we'll look at the need to serve faithfully within the body. Then on Labor Day weekend, we'll talk about how to give and live faithfully. And then we'll conclude uh, with a message on church discipline, followed by a message on elders, the expectations, the qualifications, and so forth. After that, uh, by that time, our special guest from Congo, he will be here to preach 
And then depending on how things shake out with the trip to the Congo, uh, whether I go or not will determine whether or not when we will begin um, our journey through Judges. Now, why am I preaching on church membership? What does Scripture have to say about joining a church and being a member? Well, Scripture says a lot, actually. In fact, without being faithfully connected to a local church, it can be argued that a, a person is not saved at all. This is something that Cyprian of Carthage from the 3rd century, he summed up well for us in any quote. He wrote, The house of God is one, and there can be no salvation to any except in the church. Now he's talking about church universal as well as church local. See, Scripture nowhere speaks of a believer existing outside of the church. All believers belong not only to the church universal, that is the church at large, but the church local. Being part of the church universal is visibly expressed by being connected to the church local, the local church. Another way to put it is God's kingdom and participation of it is visibly and physically expressed in part through the local church. The local church is the way that God has ordained for his people to be edified, equipped, and sanctified, as well as identified. Remember, we are not merely saved from something, we are saved for something. Recall Ephesians 2.10 from last week. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the local church is the medium by which we walk in good works. In fact, that's, what, that's the context of Ephesians. Paul writes Ephesians 2.10 in a letter that's meant to tell people, tell believers, how to live within the local church. In this, we need to remember that in being saved, we have taken up, better yet, we have been given a new identity, an identity that is directly related to becoming a citizen, a saint, a member, choose your term, of God's kingdom. An identity that comes with certain marks, marks that I spoke of last week, faith, love, and obedience. But let me highlight something before I focus on membership, and I brought this up briefly uh, last week. Just as Scripture does not paint for us a picture of a believer divorced of a local church, Scripture also does not paint for us a picture of the possibility of there being an unbaptized believer as a member of the local church. All those who are members of both the church universal and the church local in the New Testament, they are baptized when logistically possible, right? Think of the thief on the cross in Luke 23. Of course, he wasn't baptized, but of course, logistically, it was not possible for him to be baptized. But for those to whom it is possible, they are baptized. Acts 2.38, the response, again, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. The response to his sermon, every one of you. Acts 2.41, Luke goes on to tell us, to tell us those who received his word, those who received that word that Peter gave they were baptized. Those who accepted the word of Christ, were those who believed, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So those who were added to the church were those who were baptized, not those who thought about being baptized or those who didn't feel like being baptized. They weren't added to the church. Only those who received his word, which were baptized, they were added to the church. There's not one believer, a.k.a. church member, and the New Testament who refuses baptism. 
And not one church accepts anyone who is not baptized. When one is baptized, they are baptized by and into the church, not apart from it. The only time you should be baptized like outside of the church would be when there is no church. Uh, think of the Ethiopian eunuch of Acts 8. He's with Philip, and he comes across water. He's like, well, hey, here's water. Why wouldn't I be baptized? Get me baptized. There's no church there, right? But that's at the beginning. That's, that's a unique exception in time and history. Here in America, we don't have that situation. So when we are baptized, we are baptized by as well as into the church. This is why we require baptism, whether it be infant or adult baptism, believer's baptism, uh, to be a member here at Hope. This truth in practice, it's not restricted to the scriptures. We see this historically, uh, both in the early church as well as in the modern church up until 20th century America. The idea and practice of baptism being some optional accessory or upgrade for the individual believer is foreign to both the scriptures and the history of the church. So we, we have to wonder, why does the church today think it's okay to do otherwise, to practice otherwise, to go against the clear teaching and model of scripture? We wonder why the church in America is in the state that it is. We simply just have to look at how it handles membership. We gotta look at how it handles baptism. They are intimately connected. When the gate to the flock and the fencing around the flock is neglected, wolves get in. But hey, as long as we are nice, as long as we are welcoming, as long as we don't pressure people, what's the big deal with a few wolves? If baptism is viewed as inconvenient, as unnecessary, and that baptism being one of the easiest commands to obey, then what other command in Scripture can the church expect its members to actually obey? Especially when the society starts teaching otherwise and embracing views that go against Scripture. Why would we expect our members to be faithful to Scripture if they can't be faithful to getting wet? The more I study, the more I pray about this issue, I believe this is a fundamental crack in the foundation of the church in America. And yes, baptism can be abused. Church membership can be abused. And they have been abused. And often that, that's why the church is where it's at, right? Well, I've seen how the Lutherans have done it or how the Catholics have used it. I've seen how other churches have abused baptism or, or membership. So I want nothing to do with it. But that simply because somebody else has abused what God has ordained does not mean you can neglect it. We must continually ask and seek the truths of Scripture and do our best to be faithful to them. We must not excuse our disobedience and our faithfulness to Scripture on the premise of other people's unfaithfulness. Right? This is the argument that's often thrown at complementarianism. Well, abuse happens all the time in a complementarianism, so we'll just throw it out. Well, we have fallible people using a system that God has ordained. Some people are going to abuse it. That doesn't mean that we throw it away. Now, let me address something now rather than later in case I miss it. Uh, understanding some of y'all's uh, view on church membership, especially as church membership is understood formally. As we will see in a minute, church membership itself, in principle, without the formality that we see today, without all the formality that we use here, I hope, it is obviously seen in Scripture. The question for us becomes, when we study Scripture on the topic is this, 
what does membership look like for us today here at Hope in West Salem, Wisconsin in the year 2023? What does it look for us while upholding the principles that we see in Scripture? And to answer this question, this is the social and historical context of the local church is incredibly influential. Church membership looks different in our society than elsewhere. For example, the presence or lack of persecution. The presence of persecution keeps the church pure. It helps identify members far easier than in a place where you lack persecution. Right? Here in America, we have freedom of religion. Thus, we have churches on, on every street corner. And we have churches of, of, of various shades. We have churches that say they believe in Christ, but clearly not the Christ of Scripture. But when you have persecution, it's a whole other ballgame. When it's no longer to the advantage of the person identifying as a Christian, and there's, some, there's skin in the game, well, persecution helps us identify. So when we don't have persecution, how do we identify? Also consider that we're a, we are a society that commutes. Right? We, we are a culture, we commute. We live far from where we work. We live often far from where we go to church. We don't live on the same streets as other people. We don't live, the church is no longer surrounded by all of its members. We're, we're a society that commutes and transits. We don't walk to places. We don't know how we live and walk on a daily basis. The transient nature of society, of, of our time and our location, it has significantly, especially significantly increased in the past hundred years, right? Switching churches due to career changes is far more common. It's so much more common now than it used to be that back in the day, like, um, like 100 years or so ago, and maybe depending on where you live, maybe less, but if you switch churches, you would need a, a letter of, of good membership to be accepted. But now, because we're so transient and, and chain moving can happen so often, people just forego that. Now, if we're honest, it probably wouldn't be so hard to keep that practice, it's, especially nowadays, it's copy and paste and send it on. But the point is, is that people move, and we have a freedom of religion. So when people walk through the doors, you don't know who's walking through the doors. You don't know who is coming, and they can say they're a believer, but how do you really know? Now, let's look at some examples of church membership in Scripture. Uh, this is not exhaustive by any means. I have a, a good amount of, of verses. We'll go through them. Um, and then we'll wrap up with some uh, final concluding thoughts and, and um, ideas. So Acts 2.41 is where we'll begin. We've already talked about Acts 2.41. Again, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see people being added, right? Heads are being counted, right? They know there are 3,000. Heads counted, names noted. Well, what are they being added to? Well, a group. By definition, this is, this is membership. They're being added to something. This is a, a group. They are members of a group within society. So we see the idea of membership already. Acts 6, 1 through 2, Luke writes, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the, the Greek believers, rose against the, the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. I mean the Greek, uh, the Greek Jews, Greek-speaking Jews. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. And said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they, they gathered the full number of disciples. They, they gathered the members. This is essentially a, a members meeting. We have an issue within the church that needs to be addressed. 
Acts 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Right, this is Paul. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So they met with the church in Antioch. Well, well who made up the church? A particular group of people. It wasn't just anyone. It was members of the church. It was members, it was Christians, but how do they know they were Christians? How do they know they were part of the church? Well, one, by their marks that we talked about last week, by baptism, right? They knew one another. They knew each other. They weren't just random people that came in. Acts 14, 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Here is another members meeting. They gathered all the church, just the church, there in that spot. Not the church universal, but the local church. This is a a members meeting where they're receiving a missions update. 1 Timothy 5.9, Paul writing Timothy, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. So in here, Paul goes on, this is essentially a widow who's part of a church. So the widow, in order to be served in this capacity, one must be a member of the church as well as meeting certain criteria. This is a a membership within a membership. Uh, So it's a subgroup within the larger church membership. So in order for her to qualify, she first must be part of a church with certain conditions. Then we get to Romans 16, and in Romans 16, it's a long list, and we have various people here mentioned, as well as various distinct churches. Romans 16, 1, I commend to your sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. So Phoebe is a member of a local church, not, not another church, right? She's a member of Sincrea. Notice how Paul attributes her to a very specific local church, Sincrea. Yes, she is a member of the church universal, but she's not a member of the church at Colossae or um, another church. She's not a member of the church at Antioch or Jerusalem. She's a member of the church at Sincrea. Romans 16.5, Paul says, greet also the church in their house. There he's talking about the house of Prisca and Aquila, right? So there's a distinct church that meets in a distinct place, and in this case, it's the house of Prisca and Aquila. At the same time, however, while Paul does identify these various local churches, at the end of Romans 16 and verse 16, he acknowledges the church universal. He writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So Paul acknowledges both the local and the universal, but note that he does not, he he acknowledges the universal not by saying the church of Christ greets you, but all the churches of Christ greet you. So beyond accounts and descriptions of actual churches that we see here, the question for somebody who is a faithful believer is, how can one be faithful to the commands of Scripture without being committed to the local church? How do you bear with one another if you don't spend enough time to actually bear with them? How do you show patience? How do you correct and admonish strangers in love? How do you weep, rejoice, and pray for those you don't know? Let's look at Romans 12, 3 through 16. And Paul gives us this passage to help us understand what a life that is a living sacrifice, because in 1, 2, he says, present yourselves as a living, walking sacrifice. So 3 through 16 is, this is what it looks like. And notice that how in order for us to do what God commands, we need 
the church. We need the body. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, that's the local church, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, clear mind. Each according to the measure of faith which, that God has assigned. So you've been given a measure of faith by God. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. See, you belong to a body. And the local church is how we live this out. So this principle applies to the church universal as well as to the church local, but especially the church local to whom Paul is writing. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be hardy, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So how do you do these things if you're not committed to a local church? You, you, you can't. You can't do them faithfully. Sure, you can be generous to whoever, but you can't be generous to, to the body faithfully. You can't meet the needs of saints if you don't know the saints and their needs. You can't show hospitality if you're not committed to them. How do you know who makes up the local church? If you're not connected to the local church, you don't know who's been baptized by the local church. You don't know who has the marks of a believer, the faith, the love, and the obedience. You can say you can take the word, but that in this age, in this society where freedom of religion exists, taking the word is a dangerous game. In a different context, again, the body is obvious. When somebody has much to lose, taking them at the word can be a bit easier to do. But how do we know who makes up the body today in America? And that's the question that we have to ask. How do we identify the members of Hope Community Church? In Hebrews 13, 17, which I've preached on already when we closed out Hebrews a few weeks ago. So if you missed the, the message on Hebrews 13, 17, it's about three weeks ago. I would encourage you to go back and listen to, to that. The author writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So two things here. We see leaders over a group of people, a specific group of people. If it's just anyone, well, to whom are the leaders giving account to? The same person that goes to our church or the church down the street that doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture or that Christ is both God and man? Are they responsible for that person as well? So we see leaders over a group of people, in other words, members. And when we see a group of people, the second thing is that we see a group of people knowing who their leaders are. Do you have to submit to the elders uh, at First Free or, or Bethany or uh, another church, or is it just the elders here? Members know who their leaders are. It's been said that membership isn't so much about 
joining a church. It's about submitting to a church. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. He says, pay, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He's not saying church universal, right? The elders here have a very specific flock. And that flock is in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. See, the Holy Spirit appoints elders over a specific group of people. That is over the local church. This is what, how God has ordained it. This is what the, part of what the Spirit does. This is how God works through the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, how do you know who to honor? And how do you honor if you're not committed to a local church? 1 Peter 5.12 Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you. Again, he's writing to a local church. And these elders aren't the, the elders' church universal. The principle applies, but it applies to the church universal, again, by applying to the local church. So these elders among you, among a group, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the elders are called to shepherd the flock among them. I'm not called to shepherd the flock at Bethany or First Free or any of the churches that doesn't matter how close they are to Hope, that's not my flock. That's not the flock of, of the elders of Hope. My flock is the flock of Hope. Well, who's part of my flock? I need to know who my sheep are. And again, within our context, how do we do that? How do we identify those who are part of this church? This is why... Within our context, we need to identify who is a member of our church. And now surely over time, you can say, well, it, after somebody hangs out with you, spends enough time with the body, you'll know. And that's true, right? Some of y'all aren't members, but I know you, right? But there's a risk at just allowing someone to come in and then giving them the key to the building, right? If, if somebody just comes in and starts asking, well, I want to serve, or I want to do this or that, well, what's the barrier for me keeping them from serving? How much time do I need to know for that? There, there's, there's risk. And you've got to ask, is it a necessary risk? Is it a reasonable risk for the flock? So we need to be able to define and identify a local church in America that distinguishes the local church from other churches, especially when you have a church on every street corner, right? I mean, how do we identify from the, the, our, our Savior's Lutheran? or the West Salem Baptist Church, or the PCUSA Church, what is it, Redeemers, behind Hanson. How do we identify from them? How do we distinguish ourselves from them? It's, it's not that we necessarily need to be different. We shouldn't be different. Right? We should all be ascribing to the same faith. But how do we know one's committed to one church versus the other when the freedom to go back and forth between the churches exists? I can remember when I first came here, there was a, there was a member of this church who, had lunch with him, and he bragged about being a member of four different churches. He had membership at four different churches, and he, had, and he went to a different church each week for each month. And one of the churches was lucky enough to have him twice when there was a fifth Sunday. I, I don't know, like, am I responsible for that man's soul? Am, am I to, who, who does he submit to? It, it, it's confusing, and that's not how the local church is designed. It's not how God has ordained it. 
again, when we talk about church membership, when we ask the question, well, what defines a member? What defines this group? Well, it's what we talked about last week, right? Faith, love, and obedience. All things that are evident in the Christian's life. Things that you should not need a membership class for, right? Membership class, the, the way that it's, it's formalized here, I hope, you shouldn't need that, right? Per scripture, they're the principles, they're evident in the, in the, in the person's life. However, when we le- live in our context, right, I'm beating this horse dead, when we live in this context, we, we, need, we need to be more specific. We need to be more intentional, especially with a church that is elder-led but congregationally ruled. For example, who are the elders? What do they exactly believe? How do they live? Can anyone who comes in and says that they are a believer and they've been a believer for X amount of years and they're a certain age, can they be an elder? Who are the members? Who gets to vote? Who gets a voice at these congregational meetings? Who gets to serve? Many in America say they believe the Bible to be true, but they do, do they believe it to be literal? Do they believe the word of God to be that, the word of God? Or is it merely a collection of stories? Is Christ merely a man or is he a good example? Is God actually three in one or one in three? Who exactly is saved? All or only those who believe upon the name? What does it mean to believe upon the name? Who says that lesbians and gays can't get married in or by this church? Certainly women can be elders or can't they? What sins are and are not acceptable? See, without persecution to thin the flock and without the ability to live daily side by side to witness one another's lives, some sort of fence, some sort of gate needs to be erected for the protection of the flock as well as for the protection of the church, that is, uh, from litigation. For example, which we've already seen in America numerous times, a gay couple comes in and says, we want to be married. And the church says, no, we, 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 can't, we can't have an unholy union, be, be blessed within our building, and they sue the church. Well, if it's in our bylaws, we make it where you got to be a member in order for that, those things to happen, or something that speaks specifically to prohibiting that, you, the church opens themselves up to be sued. By having it in our bylaws, by making it a membership requirement, it protects them. So let me close with one final question. Why has God ordained the local church to be the ark of which we are delivered? And you can use any of the images God uses for the church there, right? Why has God ordained the flock? Why has God ordained the body of Christ? Why has God ordained the temple to be the ark of which we are delivered? Well, first, this is how the sheep receive care via elders and the other sheep. Being committed to the church, a local body, a specific body, People know you. They pray over you. You pray over them. They pray with you. The elders, we have a list of members that we pray over. Teaching, right? Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And this you here is plural. This is a second person plural. So in other words, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all, you all, richly. That is the local body. Not you as the individual, which, of course, being part of the local body, it applies to you, but he's specifically talking about the local church here. So if you're not part of the local church, this can't apply to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This isn't your neighbor who's not a, a non-believer. This is your brother and sister in Christ. In all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's what we, part of what we just did. Accountability, right? We, 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 by being part of the church and by having elders over you and being part of brothers and sisters who know you as believers, who have seen you be baptized, who, who know how you're marked, that know your faith, know your love, know your obedience, you allow yourself to be accountable. It allows you to have brothers and sisters to admonish, to correct you, to encourage you, to not only point out your sin, but to walk with you in the mud as you struggle to repent of that sin. Right? That's, what, that's, that's one of the blessings of being part of a local church is, is you're not having somebody who throws the book at you, but you're having somebody who hands the book to you, goes through the book with you, and walks with you in repentance to get you out of that sin. Being part of a church allows the church and allows you to practice church discipline. Right? Church discipline is an act of love. This allows you to be held accountable when you are in sin that you're not willing to repent of you have elders who you've agreed to submit to, coming to you, say, hey, this needs to stop, and until you do, you can't come to the table, you can't serve in ministries, we need you to repent of this. This helps us to fence the table, that would be communion, and that is to your benefit. If there is no formal membership in our context, a church can be sued for practicing church membership. And churches have been sued for practicing church discipline. And churches have been sued for practicing church discipline when they haven't stated in their membership and they haven't done church membership well. People are like, they're saying, I, I can't take, take communion. And there's nothing in the bylaws talking about church discipline, so people sue the church leadership over it. So again, in our context, a formal fence, a, a formal pro process, whatever you want to call it, of church membership helps protect the church. And it's a small thing towards for you all to partake in. Second, membership helps protect the witness. It protects the witness of Christ in his name. When you become a member, the church affirms you as a witness of his name. This is one of the roles of, of baptism. When you're baptized by the church, essentially you're entering into like a covenant-type relationship with that local body, saying, we believe you to be a believer, and therefore we affirm it. To, to forsake that witness, when you start acting unbecoming, when you start living in a way that's unbecoming of a believer, unbecoming of a church membership, notice how they're interchangeable there, by acts of disobedience and unfaithfulness, then we as a church, we, we can engage in church discipline. We can disavow you, so to speak, until you repent of it. Historically, the early church gives us examples in this regard. Early on, the church was quick to, as we saw in Acts, the church is quick to add those to the church. They're quick to baptize people. They're quick to add them to their roles. But over time, it became evident that some of those quick conversions led to people who weren't really converted. People, when faced with persecution, were quickly and easily denouncing the faith. And so the early church started practicing catechisms. And when somebody said, hey, I want to be part of the church, I believe too, the church would be like, this, that's great. Good news. And since baptism isn't necessary for salvation, and since church membership in a formal sense isn't necessary for salvation, let's go through catechism. 
Let's teach you. Let's train you. Let's make sure that you understand what it means to believe in the triune God. Let's make sure you understand what it means to live a Christian faith in a world that hates you. Let's make sure you understand what it means to be part of a local church. And then we'll baptize you. Because baptism was the entrance. That was being brought into the church. That's why when you transfer church membership in the old days, you had to bring a certificate of baptism. And, and, and so the, these catechisms, these periods of, of waiting would vary from church to church. Some churches, six months, three months. Other churches, I think the longest I've read, three years. You come to faith, well, it might take you three years before you're officially accepted as a, a member. And of course, that, that varied from church to church. So if church membership helps us to protect the witness. That way, when you have a member of a PCUSA church or a Methodist church that's embracing the rainbow flag, blasphemy in the name of Christ and so forth, you can be like, well, he's they're not one of us because they clearly, they're not a member. Third, it protects the flock, right? Membership protects the flock because it keeps out negative influences. It keeps out those who would want to bring in the rainbow flag or transgender um, ideologies or any other unholy, ungodly um, ideologies or teachings that are not faithful to Scripture. So it keeps out negative influences. We want it to be harder to become a member than it is to leave the church, to give up your membership. Most churches have it the other way around. They love to have the numbers inflated uh, rather than take their time to make disciples. Right? In line with that, they will focus more on having their members give financially than having them get baptized. Right? And that's not of God. It's worldly and driven by the desires and insecurities of the flesh. They leave that gate wide open. You want to be a member? Great. Sometimes you don't even have to go to a membership class. They'll just take your name down, add you to a roll call, take down your information so they can send you your e- their, their emails and, and maybe even your financial information, depending on the church and its motives. But then if you want to get off of that roll call, it can be really hard because, again, it impacts their numbers, and they're more concerned about numbers than they are making disciples. Here, if you don't want to, if you're become a member and, and you want to no longer be a member, all you got to do is like, like shoot, shoot me an email. I might ask why. You can give me the reason why. You might have a conversation depending on why, but we're not going to hold, hold you to the flame to stay a member We'll ask, we'll have that conversation. Sometimes the reasons are legit. We're moving. We're going elsewhere. Or it's theological. We just disagree with what you're saying about Scripture or, or whatnot. But we're not going like, to beg you to, to stay here. Membership here at Hope may be expressed differently than the membership in a church in China or in Jamaica or Africa. Or it may look different than the church um, in the second century Rome. But the principles, I pray, are the same. And that's what we strive for at Hope. It's one of the reasons why we make changes to the bylaws from time to time. We review them and we go, I don't know if this is the best way that we're making disciples. I don't know if this is the best way that we are faithfully, um, the the intention might be there to be faithful to the principle that's in Scripture. But the way that we're practicing it, just it's, it's, it's not clear. So let's either reword it, let's get rid of it, let's do something. It's why, why the bylaws are not, they're not the ultimate authority, right? Scripture is the ultimate authority. If there's a conflict between bylaws and Scripture, Scripture wins every single time. The, the, the bylaws, they're good to have, but they're not authoritative compared to Scripture. And some, 
may think our standards for membership are too high. Right? I've, I've heard that before. I've heard it's because we, have, we require baptism. We're, again, we're the only church in the district that requires baptism for membership. And I've had people think that's too much. How, like, how, it's the basic way to identify a Christian. Are you baptized? Oh, well, that's just too much. Well, who, who, are, who are the members of your church? And then we look at all these churches that have all these political, worldly conflicts going on. It's not that we don't have our issues. We do. But I praise God that we tend to them rather faithfully, despite the disagreements. We do it with grace and love because most of you all are saved. I'm of confidence in that because I've seen it. And we, in part because we make baptism. We have, a, we have a baseline standard for membership. It's not high. It's, it's the bare minimum. It's, are you a believer? All the expectations, all the qualifications to be a member it's in Scripture. It's, it's basic. These aren't the high-level, like, well, only if you aspire to this. Like, we're only allowing elite believers into membership. There, one, there's no such thing as an elite believer, but I think some churches believe that. Uh, the only thing that we might be adding is the age. you got to be an adult, right? And that's because we believe children who are living with their parents, especially under the age of 18, they're under the headship and the authority of, of their parents, of, of their fathers. So that's, that's like the only thing. But even that, you find that in Scripture uh, of the household and the authority of the headship flowing through the father. So it's not high. This is, it's basic. And if you have these three marks that I talked about last week, faith, love, and obedience, you will faithfully serve here at Hope. You will be a good member. You will do well, and you will do well at any other church that is faithful to the word of God. Because again, this is just a, a basic expression of the teachings of scripture. Membership is not about attaining a card or a certificate. We don't give those out. I mean, if you wanted one, I suppose we could make one. It's not about having influence within society. And, and I'm not sure how much influence our church has in society. And then maybe those days are long gone, right? This isn't, you know, 1970 America where being part of a church, like if you want to get promoted or if you want to be known in the community, you had to be part of a church. Those days might be gone, and that might be a good thing. But membership is about faithfully reflecting your faith in Christ as given to you by Christ and living that out within the social and historical context in which we find ourselves. That's... That's the point. So if you have questions on membership, or maybe doubts, let's chat. If you're thinking, no, you're wrong, you're off base, well, let's chat, but just make sure you have your Bible open and show me. Like, I'll let you do all the talking, and you can show me from Scripture how I'm wrong, and then if I have a response, I'll give it to you from Scripture. But let's chat. Because, again, that's what membership is about disciple-making, and we'll talk more about that with weeks ahead, but this is, I say my spiel up here from the safety of the pulpits, and then after this, I move in front of the pulpits, and it's, it's open game, open season. That's, that's the role of the shepherd. It's the role of the elders. If you think I'm, I don't know, intimidating, or you don't want to come to me, and you think one of the other elders are more approachable, more relatable, more emotional, what, more your type, Go to them. Like, that's their role too. Talk with them as well. Or if you want to 
team up on me with a, a friend or a relative and you don't want to meet with me one-on-one, do, do that as, as well. But let's, let's be faithful to what Scripture and what God calls us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, re- your reminder, your teaching. Thank you for your grace and your patience. Sometimes we are ignorant in what you teach. Sometimes we're arrogant. Sometimes we just, we just don't know. We just lack understanding until you give us understanding, Father. And we thank you when you do. And Father, as you give us understanding, may we with thankful hearts rejoice in that and may we respond appropriately. May we repent when necessary and may we faithfully serve you as you call us to in light of that new understanding that you give us. May we be patient with one another in this endeavor as we all desire to be made more like your son. May we continue to encourage and admonish one another. May we continue to live lives and to live life with one another, making the efforts to do the travel, to take the time to get to know one another here at Hope, so that this church body here at Hope, Father, that you have given the elders and uh, given the flock that we would be strengthened and that we would be a powerful witness of your love to those who don't know your love or who have rejected it, Father. In that light, may your spirit go out from here, open the eyes of the lost, and may we be faithful witnesses, faithful guides uh, to them, to the truth. Father, as we get ready for the table, we ask that you'd bless the elements, the bread and the cup, that your spirit would search our hearts, convict us of our sins, that we would confess and repent, that we would rejoice that the work is done, and as we come up to the table, that we would be encouraged And as we partake, that we would be encouraged and refreshed that we are not alone, but we are part of a body, both local and universal. And we're part of a great eternal everlasting kingdom. And we're part of it by the blood and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And in that truth, Father, may we be faithful to the lives that you call us to. We ask all these things, Father, until your son returns for your glory, by the power of your spirit, and in the name of Christ. Amen.